If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 16 and 17 this morning. That's where we're going to start with anyway. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. Uh, we've in a series, Worship Matters. Worship Matters. And we've been looking at the matters of worship. And today we look at uh, worship does indeed matter. Uh, as we've been going through this series, the first thing that we noticed that was everybody worships. Everybody, every human being alive worships. They worship someone or something, but misdirected worship leads to God's eternal judgment. Then we saw that genuine worship, genuine worship is Christ-centered worship that emanates from the Spirit, from within, um, and then is grounded in truth, in the Word of truth, and God's holy Word. And then Jason taught us that the church must be unified in worship. As we come together, we must come as a unified body of believers. Then last week we noticed that worship that honors God and edifies the church is orderly worship. Orderly worship, not chaotic worship, but orderly worship. And today we consider then the elements of worship. The elements, what should be in a, a time of worship, what should be in a worship service. So the elements of worship. If you've found your place there in Colossians 3, please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Hear the word of the Lord. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your holy, inspired, and inerrant Word. And we do pray today that You would write its eternal truth on all our hearts. Lord, as we look at the elements of worship, Lord, teach us, teach us how to worship You in a way that is pleasing and honoring to You. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. And you may be seated. Does what we do in worship matter? Does what we do in worship matter? Or are there certain elements that must be present in our worship? Or are we free to just kind of do whatever feels right? Does God really care how we worship? That's the question that I want us to consider today. Does God care how we worship? And we should note that he does. You don't have to turn there. It'll be up on the screen. But I want to take you back to Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 10. And in Leviticus chapter 10, let me kind of bring you up to speed where, where we are in Leviticus chapter 10. At this point, God has brought the Israelites out of Egypt and he has brought them to the, the, the wilderness of Sinai. And he has taken Moses up on Mount Sinai and given him the exact uh, specific, uh, spec, uh, specs, there we go, uh, the exact specifications of how the temple or the tabernacle in that day, how the tabernacle was to be built, how everything was to be laid out, 
and he gave specific orders as in how the worship was to be conducted in the tabernacle. And so God had given them the exact order and the exact specifications of how to worship him. And so then we come to Leviticus chapter 10. And the two sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, come into the tabernacle to worship. And I want you to notice what it says. Leviticus chapter 10, verses, verse 1. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire on it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not com commanded them, and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. I will be holy. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. So Nadab and Abihu, they come in. Uh, they are priests, ordained as priests before God. But they come in, and instead of doing worship, practicing worship the way God had ordained for them to worship, they come and they present unauthorized fire. Now, I don't know what that means. And that's not the point of the day's message. But they did something that God had not ordained. And what happened? The consuming fire of God came out from the altar and consumed them. He killed them because they worshipped in a way that was unauthorized by God. Worship matters to God. How we worship, the way we worship matters to God. The way we worship matters to God. We can't just come in here and worship however we want to worship. God has given us direction of how we are to worship, and we must worship according to the Word of God. The Second London Baptist Confession of 1689, which was a pre precursor, in a sense, to the Baptist faith and message, which we subscribe to today. The Second London Baptist Confession says... The acceptable way of worshiping the true God is instituted by himself, by God himself, and so limited by his own revealed will that he may not be worshipped according to the imagination and devices of men, nor the suggestions of Satan under any visible representations, or any other way not prescribed in the Holy Scriptures." We are to worship God by the way God has revealed that we ought to worship Him. We must worship God by the way He has shown us in Scripture. Corporate worship, as we gather together as a church, is to be founded on specific directions given to us in Scripture. And so today, as we look at this text and many texts, we're going to have to go through uh, several other texts in the Bible to see all this, but as we look at this, I want us to see five essential elements of worship. 
five essential elements to worship. And I want us to, as we look at these, I want us to examine ourselves, examine our church, examine our own practices. Are we doing things according to the rule of God? Are there some things that we need to change? Are there some things that we need to work on? We need to look at that and consider that today as we consider these five essential elements of worship. Now, as we look at Colossians, Colossians chapter 3, uh, let me kind of just set for you the, the context there in Colossae. Uh, Colossae is much like Corinth as we looked at last week. Corinth had some issues in their worship. Uh, they were not doing things in worship that were edifying. And so Paul was, was writing to correct that. And, and here in Colossae, there's, they've kind of got the same problem. There's some problems in their worship, and Paul is writing to correct those problems. We see that, that's evident in, in chapter 2, verse 20. Paul says there to the church at Colossae, If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish uh, as, they were, as they are used, according to human uh, precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. In other words, they're, they're coming under and they're starting to use this man-made type of religion. They're bringing things into practice within the church that are, are man-made. Uh, people are telling them, oh, well, now, if you really want to be religious, if you really want to be uh, holy, if you really want to worship God, then you've got to do this, that, or the other. Kind of like what we saw in Galatia, right? Uh, they were bringing in all of these extra regulations and saying, oh, no, this is how you've got to worship if you're really going to worship God. And Paul says, no, no, no. No, no. God tells us how we ought to worship. And so let's stick with what God tells us and how God shows us we ought to worship. And so we see that here in our text today. Now, a few weeks ago, Jason, he preached and focused mainly on uh, 3, 12 through 15, and he really brought out the unity that is necessary in worship. We're to bear one another's burdens and, and forgive one another. We have to have that, that unity in the body to worship. But as he gets down to 16, he begins to, to lay out the characteristics of worship that are characteristics that should mark our worship. And I want us to see here that, that Paul, he says that here that worship must be, first of all, Bible-centered. Worship must be Bible-centered. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts. Let the Word of Christ, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now what is the Word of Christ? The Word of Christ is the Word that we have here, the Bible. It is His Word preserved for us. It's the Old and New Testament all together. All of this is the story of Jesus. It's to point us to Jesus, the only hope of salvation that we have, the only hope of, of having a relationship with God that we have. The Bible is the Word of Christ. 
And the Word of Christ, the Bible, must be central to our worship. Therefore, as we look then at the five essential elements of worship, they are all revolve around the Bible, God's holy Word, the Word of Christ. And so the first essential element of worship is that the Bible must be read. We must read the Bible. We must read the Bible. Now, we see this uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. Paul commends Timothy, his disciple there, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Devote yourself. As you're preaching, as you're leading this uh, congregation that I've left you in charge of, don't neglect the reading of the Word. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. You've got to get in there and you've got to read Scripture. You've got to quote Scripture. You've got to proclaim Scripture. And so we must devote ourselves to the reading of Scripture. Now, why the reading of Scripture? Now, we're not getting to the teaching yet. We're going to get to that in a moment. But just the plain reading of Scripture. As I began to preach, I read the text. Brother Larry, often as he is leading in, in the music portion of our service, he, he quotes text or he reads Scripture. That's a, a main part of our, our, our worship service is the reading of Scripture. Why is it so important to read Scripture? It's because the Bible is powerful. God's holy word is powerful. It's powerful. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of, of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word is living and active. And this book is, is unlike any other book in history. Uh, you have uh, the novel, Mark Twain novel, uh, Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. Man, it's a great novel. I enjoyed that. Uh, you know, Coming up in school, having to read that in high school, I enjoyed reading that book. It was a great book. And, and there's some uh, good life lessons that could, could probably be learned in Huckleberry, uh, Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn, right? But it is unlike this book. It is unlike God's Word. You see, Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn, it's not living. It's not active. It doesn't pierce the heart. But God's Word is living and active. It's a living Word. As you read it, it comes alive. The Spirit who inspired this Word is also there working through the Word to teach us and to, to draw us closer to God. You know, it's amazing. I've read through the Bible several times over the course of my life, yet every time that I get into God's Word, it's alive. I see something that I've never seen before. It, it becomes active. It, it, it pierces my heart. It changes me. It transforms me. God's Word is powerful. It's powerful. It's living. It's active. And it can pierce our hearts. But not only that, but the Bible also produces faith. The Bible produces faith. Romans 10, chapter 17. So faith comes, by, comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. The Word of God, just reading the Word of God produces faith in our hearts. 
Larry was just talking about his conversion, and it was a scripture read that awoke in his heart to Christ. God's Word is powerful and it can produce faith. Just reading the Scriptures, just reading the Scriptures can awaken a dark, cold, dead heart and bring it to life and lead it to Christ. So we must be, we must be active in reading God's Word. In corporate worship, the Bible must be read. It must be read. We have to quote it. We have to read it throughout our, our, our time together. So in, in corporate worship, the Bible must be read. But we cannot stop there. We can't stop with just the reading of God's Word. The second essential element of worship is we must preach the Bible. We must preach the Bible. Paul, again, telling Timothy uh, in 2 Timothy, these were the final words of Paul to, to, to his young disciple. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 2, Paul says, I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. In other words, Paul saying, this is serious stuff, Paul. This is serious stuff, Timothy. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. I'm calling on God the Father and God the Son as my witnesses. Listen to what I'm about to say to you. Preach the Word. Preach the Word. He doesn't say sing the songs. He doesn't say pray the prayers. He says preach the Word. Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Be ready in season. That is, preach the Word when it's popular. When it's the right thing to do. When people are loving it and absorbing it. Preach the Word. And preach it when it's out of season. Preach it when people don't want to hear the Word. Continue to preach it. Preach, preach, preach the Word. The Word of God must be preached. That's the primary thing that we do here when we come to worship God. It's the centerpiece. It is the main course that we get into when we worship God. It's the preaching, the proclamation of God's Word. Thus saith the Lord. Of all that we can do here when we come together, the most important thing is to listen to God. What He has to say. How He has revealed Himself. How He has delivered us from sin. The Word of God preached is a centerpiece in the worship of God. You know, much has been done throughout the, the ages to silence the preaching of God's Word. Ahab had Micaiah thrown into prison and fed meager rations for proclaiming the Word of God. Isaiah, according to tradition, was sawn in two by King Manasseh for preaching the Word of God. Jeremiah was thrown into a muddy cistern and left for dead for proclaiming the Word of God. All of the apostles, minus John, were, were martyred for proclaiming the Word of God. The apostle James and Paul were beheaded. Peter was crucified upside down. Stephen... The deacon was, was stoned to death because he proclaimed the Word of God. 
throughout the ages, people have tried to silence the Word of God. But the Word of God cannot be silenced. It must be preached time and time again. The Word of God, God's Word, is the way that God nourishes His church. The preaching of God's Word is the way He nourishes the church. When at the end of John's Gospel, when Jesus and, and Simon Peter are walking together on the road, uh, uh, Jesus looks back at Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. He asked him a second time, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my sheep. A third time he asked him, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. And how are the, the sheep of Christ fed? They're fed by the Word of God. Jesus, when he, proclaimed, or when he prays to the Father there on that night before His execution, He says, Lord, Father, sanctify them in truth. Your Word is truth. Make them holy. Make them mature in truth. Your Word is truth. The way the church is nourished is by the Word of God proclaimed to them. Oh, how essential it is that the Word of God be preached in worship. So much of the reason that the church is so malnourished today throughout America is because of the, the lack of preaching and the abandonment of biblical preaching in the pulpits across this nation. Most congregations would rather have 45 minutes of singing and a 10-minute sermon. Not really on the Bible, but just a 10-minute sermon that feels good and, and makes them go out happy. They don't want to hear the Word of God. It's, we're out of season when it comes to the, word, the preaching of God's Word in our society. But we cannot abandon the Word of God. The Word of God must be preached. It must be proclaimed. Else we're not worshiping God. We may be worshiping our feelings. We may be worshiping our own wants and desires, but we are not worshiping God. The Word of God must be preached. Skipping the Word of God, uh, skipping the preaching of the Word of God is like eating supper at Grandma's house. Right? Eating supper at Grandma's house. Grandma doesn't care if you finish your meat and your vegetables. Oh yeah, it's okay. Just go and skip to dessert. So many churches, they want to skip to dessert. Let's skip the meat and vegetables. Let's skip that which nourishes us and let's just get to the sweets. But we can't skip this to the sweets. All the sweets are good. All the, extra st all the other stuff, that's good stuff and we've got to do all those other things. But we can't skip the main course. We cannot skip the meat that nourishes our spirits. The Word of God must be preached. The Word of God must be preached. In corporate worship, the Bible must be preached. So the essential elements of worship, we must read the Bible, we must preach the Bible, and third, we must sing the Bible. We must sing the Bible. Notice again what he says there in verse 16. He says then, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, 
singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with, thanksgive, uh, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We must sing the Bible. Singing has been an important part of worship uh, ever since, at least ever since David, uh, most likely b far before that, but, but we see in David in his time that he established singers, people who were over the, the, the worship through song in the temple. First Chronicles chapter 6, verse 31 through 32 says, These are the men whom David put in charge of the service of song in the house of the Lord after the ark rested there. They ministered with Psalm before the tabernacle of the tent of meeting until Solomon built the house of the Lord in Jerusalem and they performed their, their service according to their orders there in the temple. And so, so singing has always been a major part of worshiping God ever since the tabernacle was built, ever since uh, the temple in Solomon's time. Singing has always been an important element within the worship of God. But we must sing the Bible, right? We must sing the Bible, not just any old songs will do. Not just any old songs will do. We can't just sing generic songs of, of love and, and that be it. You know, here a few years ago, uh, Mary Beth and Gabby and I were on vacation somewhere, and we always, when we're out on Sunday, we're somewhere else, we try to find another church to go to and, and worship on the Lord's Day. And, and one year, we were off on vacation, and there was a church just down the road from our hotel, and so, hey, we'll go there and worship there on Sunday. And so we went in, and we, and we sat down, and as the, the music began to play, and as we began to sing songs, I began to notice a pattern in the songs. They didn't mention Jesus. They didn't really mention God. They were just kind of these generic songs about love. Oh, there was a, a you here and there, and I, and that sort of thing. But they were generic love songs, basically. There was no mention of sin. There was no mention of salvation in Jesus Christ. None of that. They were just generic love songs. Generic love songs won't do. So many people today want to get away talking about sin and, and talking about the blood of Jesus. But we've got to sing the Bible. We've got to sing the Bible. That is, we have to sing the words of God. That's what Paul's talking about in the Psalms. We must sing the Psalms. He's literally talking about the Psalms, the Psalm uh, in the Old Testament, the Psalms that were written by David and, and other uh, authors, inspired authors who, who wrote these songs. The Psalms are songs that were used in worship back in the, the temple days. And, and so we sing those Psalms, we sing the words of Scripture. And we even have some songs that, that they're psalms. They're just some, somebody today has taken the English version of the psalms and, and put them into words, and, and we sing those occasionally. But we also sing the message of the Bible. We sing hymns and spiritual songs. Uh, that's not necessarily singing the exact words of Scripture, but it's singing the message of Scripture. It's singing about what God has revealed in Scripture. So many of the songs that we sang today, uh, or all of the songs that we sang today, uh, their message comes from the Bible. They were singing about the message of the Bible. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. Hallelujah, Jesus is my life. 
You see, our, our songs that we sing, whether it be the actual words of Scripture or about the message of Scripture, the songs that we see, sing have to be theologically sound. They can't be generic songs of love, but they have to be about the, the, the revelation of God that He has revealed Himself in Scripture. Theologically sound songs that teach us even as we sing them, they teach us and remind us that God truly does love us. That He sent His Son to die on the cross for us. And that we're called to live to glorify His name. We must sing songs. We must sing the Bible. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Early in the morning our song shall rise to Thee. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty. God in three persons. Blessed Trinity. We sing the Bible. In corporate worship, we must sing the truth of God's Word. We must sing the Bible. We must sing the Bible. We must read the Bible. We must preach the Bible. We must sing the Bible. And fourth, we must pray the Bible. We must pray the Bible. Prayer is so essential to worship. We have to come in as we, we listen to God's Word preached, but, but we, we talk back to God through our prayers. We talk back to God through our prayers and we just don't we don't just pray whatever we want to pray. We we pray God's word back to him. Matthew chapter 21 verses 12 through 13. Jesus there, he he enters the temple and he drove out all who sold and brought in and bought in the temple and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the and the seat, seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Jesus says, My house, the house of worship, the house that we go to worship God, is to be a house of prayer. We must pray as we come together in worship. We must pray. But what do we pray? We pray the Bible. See, we, it's not good enough just to kind of pray some uh, mantra, repeat some mantra that, that we might come up with like so many other religions do. It's not okay for us to just pray whatever we want to pray, but we pray the Bible. We pray the Bible. That is, we pray according to the model that the Bible gives to us. Jesus' disciples ask Him how ought we to pray, and He, he gives them a model, the, the Lord's model prayer to pray. And, and as well, we see throughout Scripture other models of prayer as other people uh, proclaim their prayers. They, they announce their prayers in Scripture. And if you look at prayer, you can see four elements to uh, a prayer. And, and think about it as this, this acronym, ACTS. Acts, A-C-T-S, A-C-T-S, Acts, the four elements of prayer. Acclamation, proclaiming who God is, acclaiming His glory, proclaiming His greatness. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Jesus is saying, acclaim the glory of God, proclaim and, uh, and praise the glory of God. 
for who He is. He is our Creator, our Sustainer, the One who gives us the bread that we eat. He provides the essential elements for living. We acclaim the glory of God. See, we confess. We confess. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We must confess our sins to God. We are sinners unworthy of Your love, O Lord. We confess. T, thanksgiving. We give thanks. We're in thanksgiving, the season of thanksgiving, right? We give thanks to someone specifically. We give thanks to God for all that He does for us. All that He has done, is doing, and will do. We give thanks to God. And S, supplication. Bringing our cares and our concerns before the Lord. So we, pr we pray according to the model of Scripture, as Scripture has given us to pray and, and demonstrates that we ought to pray. But we also proclaim the promises of Scripture. We proclaim the promises of Scripture. As we come and we bring our supplications, our cares and our concerns before the Lord, we bring them understanding that, that God has provided a, a way that we can come to Him in that manner. And that He has overcome the world. When we pray, Lord, I'm, I'm sick and I need help, I need Your healing, we pray that because we know that God has overcome the world. He has overcome our ailments and our sicknesses. And even as we suffer sickness in this life, and even as we come to a point of death in this life, we pray because we know that God has overcome even death. We pray the promises of God. We pray the promises of God. Paul demonstrates this at the beginning of this letter. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, or excuse me, it's not, yeah, 9 and 10. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, Colossians, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You see, that's the will of God. Paul's praying for them the will of God. God wants you to grow in knowledge. He wants you to become spiritually mature and grow in spiritual wisdom. And so Paul says, I'm praying this for you. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increase in the knowledge of God. Paul's praying the will of God as it is revealed in Scripture. And so ought we to pray. We pray in the model God has given us in Scripture and we pray in accordance to God's Word, His promises, and His declarations to us. We must pray the Bible in corporate worship. In corporate worship, we must read the Bible, we must preach the Bible, we must sing the Bible, we must pray the Bible, and finally, we must see the Bible. We must see the Bible. That is, we must see the visible gospel. Now, understand here, I'm not talking about uh, drama, so to say. Uh, I'm not talking about the, the whole drama movement that has been taking place. And, and, you know, there's nothing wrong with drama. I don't think there's anything wrong with drama in church. We can have our, our Christmas pageants and our, our Easter pageants and all of those types of things. Those are good and wonderful and great, but those can't be the main thing, right? 
Those can't be the main thing that we do Sunday after Sunday. There's, there's some who that, they want that to be the main thing. We live in an, a, a society that really likes entertainment, so, so we have to entertain them and put on a show, but it's not about that. That's not the way, that's not the manner that God has given us to worship Him. We don't worship Him through drama. But we do worship Him by seeing the message of the gospel and the ordinances that God has given us to observe. He has given us visible representations of the gospel. The first is one that we'll, we will observe next Sunday the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper. In the Lord's Supper, we see the gospel played out before our very eyes. As we partake, as Christians partake of the Lord's Supper, we are pronouncing, we are proclaiming to the world that we, we by faith, partake in the body broken of Christ, the bo broken body of Christ, and the blood poured out of Christ on our behalf for our salvation the bread, as we come together and we break it, Jesus says, this is my body, which is broken for you. It re represents the, the broken body of Jesus Christ as it was beaten, laying on the cross, nailed to the cross to be crucified. He says, take this, this cup this cup is my blood, which is the new blood of the covenant, poured out for your sins. It represents the outpouring of Christ's blood on the cross. He suffered in our place so that we might have life in Him. And by partaking of the bread and the cup, we are proclaiming that by God's grace through faith, we are, we are part participating in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ because of the work that He did on our behalf. And so we observe the, 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 the Bible, we see the Bible through the elements of the Lord's Supper. But also there's the other, the second ordinance, the ordinance of baptism. Here again in baptism, we see the gospel played out before our eyes. As new believers come in, and we just had this a few weeks ago, right? New believers, they come to faith in Jesus, and we take them into the baptistry. And, and, and we pronounce, we baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and I always say when I'm baptizing them, and Jason has picked this up as well, but, but join with Him in His death. Going under the water represents being buried with Christ. Being united with Christ in His death. And raised again to a new life. Coming out of the water represents our resurrection. A resurrection that has really already begun in this life. As we, we begin to be transformed, regenerated here even in this life. And we begin to live a new life in Christ. But always looking forward to and anticipating the day when that resurrection will be completed when Jesus returns and will make us perfectly new in His kingdom. And so we, we worship by seeing the Bible through these two ordinances that God has given us to observe through the Lord's Supper and through baptism. So in corporate worship, we must see the Bible through God's prescribed ordinances. The way we worship matters to God. The way we worship matters to God. He has given us the elements of worship in the Bible. 
We must read the Bible. We must preach the Bible. We must sing the Bible. We must pray the Bible. We must see the Bible. Whatever else we might do in a worship service, we must do these three things, or these five things. There's one more essential characteristic of worship that we must notice here in our text in Colossians. Not only must we must worship be Bible-centered, but worship must also be Christ-centered. Worship must be Christ-centered. Look at verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him, through Jesus. Our worship must be Christ-centered. Everything that we do in worship must, be, must revolve around, be centered in Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. Except through Me. It's only through Jesus that we can ever approach the Father. We can never approach the Father on our own righteousness, on our own goodness. We can't approach the Father through Allah or Buddha or any other person. It's only through Jesus Christ that we approach the Father. Our worship must be, absolutely must be, Christ-centered. It must be Christ-centered. We come to God, we come to the Father through Jesus through Jesus Christ alone. For us, church, we can only worship through Jesus. When we come to sing praises unto God, we sing through Jesus. Every time I pray, I pray through the name of Jesus. When we sing, when we worship, it's through Jesus. Because He's the only way to the Father. For many in the world today, they're trying to approach, and maybe some that are here today, you're trying to approach God in your own way. You're trying to approach God in your own merit. You're trying to approach God in your own power, but you fail time and time and time again. You just can't make it to God. The reason is God, because God has ordained the way to Him. And the way to the Father is through Jesus Christ and through Christ alone. If you're not trusting in Jesus, if you haven't surrendered your life to Him, you can never make it to the Father. You can never engage in worship. But the good news is that Jesus stands and He offers, come to Me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. You've been working so hard to try to please God through your own acts of, of goodness and failing. Jesus says, come to Me, I'll give you rest. If you'll turn to Jesus today, He'll give you rest from your work. He'll give you rest from all of your wearies. And He'll bring you to the throne room of God and bring you into true 
worship. You'll trust Him today. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You that You have taught us and You teach us in Your Word how You are to be worshipped. And Father, I know there's so many so many opportunities out there and, and, and we have the desire. We just confess that to You. Lord, we, we want to, to, to make worship be about our way. We want to make worship about us. We want to define the terms of worship because of our sinfulness. Lord, I pray that You would show us, reveal to us all the more Your way of worship. Lord, let these elements of worship pierce our own hearts. Let us examine our own worship. And, and Lord, let us see how, how do we need to change. How must we, be, must we change to honor You and glorify Your name? Father, give us the power and the ability to worship You in a way that is honoring and pleasing to You. And Lord, if there, is those who, there are those here today who they desire to worship, they desire to worship, but they've been pursuing the wrong avenues of worship, Lord, let them see Jesus today. Let them find the way, the truth, and the life. Let them find Jesus and come into authentic, true worship. These things we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Stand with us if you will.